tonight, I think, is Tu B'Shvat. There aren't that many halachas associated with Tu B'Shvat. There are customs, Kabbalistic customs, customs without Kabbalah, having to do with fruit and fruit trees. So, we can discuss bugs, bugs and fruit, bugs and vegetables, but we're going to discuss tonight one of the very few halachas that actually is specific to fruit trees, the Zoe's Arla. We're going to discuss a somewhat more obscure halacha connected to fruit trees, and that is the halacha of cutting down fruit trees. Pasuk in Shoftim, series of Pesukim in Shoftim, the, the Torah says, when you lay siege to a city, lo sashchis es eitzah, you shall, not, uh, you shall not cut down trees. The Pasuk does say eitz machal, but the Gemara does say eitz machal, so it applies to fruit trees. The Gemara actually extends this to non-fruit trees, and the Gemara actually extends this to the wanton destruction of property in general, even outside wartime, and this, of course, is the famous prohibition of baltashchis. The Torah says lo sashchis. In uh, Talmudic parlance, that becomes, lo sash, that becomes baltashchis. That's the vera of baltashchis, of needlessly destroying property. But in the halachic literature of baltashchis, it emerges that there are Two prohibitions. There is the broad prohibition against destroying stuff, wasting stuff in general. And then there is the narrow prohibition of cutting down fruit trees. And that is what we are going to discuss tonight. The prohibition against cutting down fruit trees in some ways is stricter and uh, more absolute than the prohibition against wanton destruction. The prohibition against cutting down fruit trees is Daraisa, but the extension of Baltashkas may only be Drabanan. But we're going to focus on the prohibition of cutting down fruit trees. We're going to read a tshuva of the She'elas Yavitz, uh, Rav Yaakov Emden, one of the one of the great postkim, one of the great postkim of three centuries ago. His tshuva on uh, on cutting down fruit trees is a seminal tshuva. He has important leniencies, and he also has important stringencies. The the topic of cutting down fruit trees has a couple of small, isolated passages in the Talmud. There's not a whole lot of discussion about it. In Rishonim, Shulchan Aruch, Achronim, there's very little on the... It's not even, it's not even mentioned clearly in the Shulchan Aruch. There, there's very, I think, there's very little on it until about, until about Rabbi Yachim Emden's time. Until about three centuries ago, there's very little discussion of the, the rules and parameters of cutting down fruit trees. For some reason, from around his time, for the last three centuries... There has been an explo- explosion, proliferation of chuvas dealing with the practical application of the prohibition of cutting down fruit trees. And this chuva, as I said, of the Shelos Yavet is one of the first, one of the seminal ones. Many of the later chuvas revolve around some of the innovative positions he takes in this chuva, either and either agreeing with him or disagreeing with him. So this is an interesting and a fundamental chuva that we're going to study tonight. When I was putting together the handout for, for, for our study tonight, I came across a New York Times article from about eight years ago discussing the contortions into which some observant Jews in the New York area put themselves to avoid cutting down fruit trees. They have them in shuls, they have them in bakeries, they have them in private houses, and they build little fences around them. They just kind of flow the whole house, so the whole, the whole business, the whole shul around the fruit trees in order to avoid cutting them down. Do you, actu- do you actually have to do that? As we'll see, the, much of the discussion 
emerges from the from the, the tshuva, the she'elas yavets that we are going to be studying tonight. The, the Times article, we always note that when you, when you read the Times on a topic that you don't know very much about, you know, the wars in the Balkans, or quantum physics for most of us, or uh, exotic and exotic things that we're not experts on, it all sounds very learned and, uh, and, and, very, and, and makes sense. When you read about things you do know about, it often, it often seems laughably wrong. This article actually gets it largely right. This article, this article actually gets the, the halacha and the custom largely correct. Uh, from a quick reading of it, they're actually basically correct about the prohibition, about its sources and how it's applied today. It was interesting that the, in terms of their rabbinic sources, they quote, they quote I, I noticed three, three rabbanim they quote. They quote... Saul, they quote Rabbi Saul Berman of YU. They quote, they quote Rabbi Meir Schiller, and they quote Rabbi Gavriel Zinner, who is the author of, they say, more than two dozen books on Jewish law and tradition. For those not familiar with him, Rabbi Gavriel Zinner is the author of the Nitte Gavriel, one of the one of the greatest and most erudite scholars of rabbinic law in our time. His Nitte Gavriel are, are, are fantastic collections of. Uh, Halacha of Minhag of it, it, it's a somewhat uh, it's a somewhat eclectic mixture of uh, halachic sources, rigorous halacha along with Minhag, along with extensive documented citations of various Hasidic traditions. But the Nitzig Avriel is a is, is a is a is a is a major major reference work on numerous areas of halacha. Rabbi Gavriel Zinner is the real thing. He's uh, he's as much of an expert on, on halacha as anyone. The Times is likely to quote. So that was just noteworthy that he was one of their one of their major sources for this article. So beginning now with the tshuva of Rav Yaakov Emden. So first paragraph begins with uh, with the whole dance between the Rav Emden's correspondent and Rav Emden. His correspondent is uh, is is very very uh, very respectful. They're very very deferential to Rav Emden. He says he's written him a previous letter. It's gone unanswered. And he's very disappointed. He hopes he hasn't offended him. He, he really, he's really sorry if he did. He doesn't know of anything he did, but if he has, he's, uh, he's begging abjectly for forgiveness. And, uh, and he's groveling in front of him to just, please, I hope I haven't done anything wrong. Please, please answer my first letter. Please, please answer my, my second letter. The first letter had to do with a question in the laws of fa- family purity, apparently. Rav Emden deals with that at the end of his tshuva. We're going to be focusing on the bulk of Rav Emden's tshuva, which is a response to the second letter, which was a question about cutting down fruit trees. So the question was, the shul, their shul, basically shalanu, the correspondent shul was too small, not enough room for people to fit in the shul. And for whatever reason, the only viable way, the only feasible way to enlarge it is in the eastward direction, and in that direction, there is a grapevine, a geffen, planted. And they would have to cut it down in order to enlarge the shul, that they would have to cut down that grapevine. Grapevine is a tree in halacha. May not, we may not think of them as trees exactly, but certainly from the halachic standpoint, they're trees. We make bari priya eights on grapes. So you have to cut, and it is a fruit tree, therefore, you have to cut down the grapevine. So the fellow asked of Emden, is there any heter to cut it down? in order to the, accomplish the goal of expanding the shul. And this other correspondent notes, his correspondent notes, that this is actually a rental property, 
we don't own the, we don't actually own the building. It's a long-term lease. It's a nine-year lease. The, the non-Jewish landlord allows us to cut it down. But we'll see in the course of Rabbi Yaakov Emden's analysis why the ownership is relevant. But that was the question that, please, I, I really want to hear your answer. I will do whatever you, we will do whatever you say. You're, you are our guiding light on this matter. And please, please, I beg you, please answer this question. Yes. Yes, so that's a good point. So, so Jay is suggesting that they could replant the vines. They could, instead of simply hacking them, hacking them to death, they could simply carefully remove them from the soil and replant them somewhere else. That actually is going to be one of Rav Emden's noted contributions to Arsugya, is he discusses that suggestion, and we'll get to that as we go. So the personal aspects of the, of the question, why he hasn't responded to his first letter, and so on, he actually gets to all the way at the end of the tshuva, Maybe we'll get it. He says that we were moving. I was planning on moving. I wound up staying, but I was planning on moving. I was so busy packing, and, and I misplaced your letter, and so on. But uh, at the beginning of the tshuva, he just jumps into the halacha. So what's the halacha? Are you allowed to cut down a grapevine in order to expand the shul? So he begins, he begins in a lenient direction. It is obvious, he says. It is supremely obvious. Zuein etzricha lefnim. Milsa depshitahi. It is self-evident. It's even clearer than the archetypal, straight, simple, uh, explicit question, eating eggs with milk, which is uh, a very simple question. That's the classic paradigm, classic example of a trivial question. It is even more obvious than that, that this is mutter. Why? Because the prohibition of cutting down fruit trees is only is only in a destructive manner. On the most basic level, that emerges from the biblical language. It says, Lo sashchis es etza. Lo sashchis. It doesn't say lo sakut. It doesn't say don't cut down the tree. It says don't destroy. Hashchasa, the biblical word hashchasa, always has a connotation of wanton destruction. But in terms of Talmudic source, he says we have that too. He says the Talmud makes this very clear. The Talmud has the expression, the primary sugya of cutting down fruit trees is in Bavakama, and the Gemara establishes a rule Ravina said, If the wood, if the value of the tree as lumber is greater than the value of the tree as a, as a living, growing, fruit-bearing tree, then it is permitted to cut it down. In other words, the Gemara is telling us that, that even though we said there are really two branches to the prohibition, no pun intended, there's the general prohibition of baltashches against destruction, and then there's a specific prohibition against cutting down fruit trees. Even that specific prohibition also, also exists within the general framework of Baltashchis, about wasteful and wanton destruction. And if what you're doing makes economic sense, if the value of the tree as lumber is greater than the, than the value of the tree as a growing tree, growing fruit-bearing tree, then it is permitted to cut it down. That's what the Gemara says, and that is the primary source for the idea that you're allowed to cut down trees if there is uh, economic need, economic benefit. The Gemara gives various examples of that. Uh, the Gemara gives various, various examples of cases where they, where Amoraim cut down trees because the trees were causing economic trouble, the, the tree, that there were, that the, the, the Gemara has a case where the grapevines were, were harming, there were date palms that, that were nearby, and, and, and the grapevines were, were, Causing injury to the to the dates, he says cut down. He says he says cut down the. He says the the other, the other way around. It, it, it was the it was the 
it was the what what one was injuring the other. So he said, cut it down. If, it, if it's causing economic harm, he said, we can cut them down. And that's the basic holding of the Gemara that we cut down trees if they are if they are more economic trouble than they are than, than the benefit. And the the post can all bring a rush. Again, I said there isn't much discussion in the Rishonim and early Achronim, but one of the most widely quoted rulings is a very brief one-line ruling by the Rush. It's about six words that the Rush says that just as the Gemara says, if you if the value of the tree it's worth more dead than alive, the Chain the Rush says The Rush says it seems that if you need the place of the tree, and that's the common reason you want to cut down trees today, not because you have some great need for the wood of the tree. Typically, all the cases in the New York Times article, typically the reason you want to cut down trees today, as in Rebecca Emden's case, the reason is because you need the space, that, that where the tree is, the, the, pro, the prime real estate there, the space is valuable. So the Rush says that too emerges from the Gemara. Just as the Gemara says, if the value of the dead tree is worth more than the live tree, that justifies cutting it down. So too, the Rush says, if the value of the space where the tree is is worth more than the tree, nira, that is also mutter. The Taz, the Taz, as, yes? Hi, Aaron, just a quick question. Uh, so is there any discussion from either the Gemara or in any of the Rishonim that, we, that we're seeing about whether this is a mitzvah to Leah Baharitz or not? So the, 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 the assumption is this applies even in Chutzler. Yerach Ramdan is going to discuss that, I think, briefly in the Tshuva, but it is generally, generally assumed that this is even chutzlerts. Oh, there's not even a discussion. Everybody just assumes it. I, I, I would never say there's not a discussion anywhere, but I, I, I think it's, a, it's pretty well settled that it's even in, it's even in chutzlerts. Okay, thanks. As we'll see, Rebecca Remden has a little bit of discussion about it, but, uh, but he pretty much takes for granted it's even in chutzlerts, and I don't think there's much debate about that. The, the various Amarayim who were discussing it, I think at least some of them were in... We're in Chutzlaretz, and yeah, okay, so that's, that's a good point. I didn't really look into this, but certainly the post can generally assume that it's even in Chutzlaretz. So we have the Gemara that says that if there's economic value to the tree, it's worth more dead than alive. It's Mutzer. We have the Rush who says that that extends to Tzarech Makomo. If you need the space where the tree is, that's also a justification. And the Taz, as I mentioned, there isn't much discussion in the early Akronim or in the Shulchan Aruch. The Taz is not even going on uh, Sif and Shulchan Aruch. He just tosses it in on his own. We'll discuss the context of the Taz later. But the Taz says, based on what the Rush says, I, I issued a, a Halacha Lemaisa ruling that the same kind of case. Someone had real estate, and there were trees, and there were fruit trees, but he wanted to build a house, a residential building on the, uh, on the plot. And the... And the... And I allowed it because the, because the importance, he, the, the space he needed for a, for a residence was more important than the fruit of the tree. And therefore the Taz says, based on the rush, based on the Gemara, I allowed it. So go, returning to Rabbi Yaakov Emden, so he says that is the, the basic principle, that if it, if, if it causes harm, and if, it, if the economic value of the tree dead is greater than its economic value of the tree alive, it's not derech hashchasa, and it is mutter. And this all applies even when it's for a mundane purpose, it's for your personal house and so on. Kalvachomer, he says, Afortiori, when it's for a shul and it's a mitzvah, certainly that would be certainly that would be justified. Then he has a very interesting excursus. He talks about a discussion in Malachim, in Sefer Malachim. When Shlomo Hamelach, when King Solomon built the first temple, 
So it says he built certain items in the temple. He built the two keruvim, and he built certain doors. He built them out of atzei shemen, out of uh, trees that have oil. The Radak and the Ralbag understand that those were olive trees, that he used olive wood. People today use olive wood for various, uh, various types of furniture and stuff and uh, decorative things. He used olive wood, they understand the psukim to mean to build certain parts of the base of Mikdash. And they struggle with this. They say, you can't cut down a fruit tree. Olive is a fruit. I mean, again, we may not think of it as a fruit, but in halacha, it's a fruit. So you, how can you cut down an olive tree? Yudak Ramdan mentions that there are, that, that, that the Chazal seem to have understood it was not an olive tree, it was uh, something else, it's a kind of cedar. But the Targum Yonasan and the Rishonim understand that it was an olive tree, so they ask, how could he cut it down? So they say, maybe Shlomo didn't cut them down. These were given to him by Chira Melech Tzur. Shlomo didn't do it himself. Or maybe these were old trees. They didn't have fruit anymore. The Gemara talks about that. If the trees are too old to bear fruit or to bear significant quantities of fruit, you can cut them down. That's what they say. Says Yaakov Emden, you don't need to say that. It's, it's unnecessary. The answer is what we said, that the, you're allowed to cut down fruit trees if their value as timber as lumber, is greater than their value as fruit-bearing trees. So for the base of Mikdash, such an important thing to have this kind of wood, I guess he felt that it couldn't have been easily, uh, substitute, you couldn't easily substitute regular wood, there was something particularly beautiful, or, or uh, some particularly good reason for using this kind of wood, so that is fine. That is a perfectly valid justification for cutting down the fruit trees. Now he says that, uh, that th- there, is, there is a different passage in Chazal that may have misled the, the Radak and the Ralbag and given them the impression that you're not allowed to cut down fruit trees even for such a worthy purpose as operating the temple. It says when they would, uh, when they would get wood to burn on the Maracha, to burn on the Mizbeach, it says they would select Ateteina, they would use figwood. However, they would find fig trees that were no longer bearing fruit. They wouldn't use ordinary, healthy, young fig trees that were bearing fruit. They would find those trees that were not bearing fruit. So, and, and they deliberately didn't want to use fruit trees. So the Radak and the Ralbag understood that even for the purpose of performing the, the temple service, you're not allowed to cut down fruit-bearing trees. And that, that they understood that, how they explained the Gemara Mavakama, I don't know, but they understood apparently that even for such a worthy purpose as operating the temple, you're not allowed to cut down fruit trees. Says Rav Yaakov Emdin, that is a mistake. It's true that the Gemara says they were careful not to cut down fruit-bearing trees for the Atim Aracha, but the Gemara doesn't say the reason is because the Torah says, Lo sashchis es because there's a biblical prohibition against cutting down fruit trees. Rather, the Torah says, Mishum Yishav Eretz Yisrael. The, this is a value we find in the rabbinic literature very often that, 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 that we promote Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. We, we uh, encourage practices and we, disc- we encourage practices that will lead to the, the settlement and development of Eretz Yisrael, both in terms of residential settlement as well as in terms of upgrading and improving the infrastructure and the beauty and the functionality of Eretz Yisrael. And we discourage conduct that, conversely, we discourage conduct that will that will uh, detract from the, the, the settlement and the infrastructure of Eretz Yisrael. So this is not the same thing as Los Ashkes Eitzel. Los Ashkes Eitzel is a simple biblical prohibition. And we, as we said before, it applies even in Chutzlarts. Yish of Eretz Yisrael is a policy consideration that Chazal generally 
Chazal often had a concern to promote the Yishev Eretz Yisrael and to discourage things that will detract from Yishev Eretz Yisrael. That's not the same thing as Baltashchis. On the contrary, Rebekah Memden says, the fact that the Gemara over there discussing the Atzei Maracha only invokes the notion of Yishev Eretz Yisrael and does not say anything about the simple one of the Tariag Mitzvahs of Lo Sashchis Aseitza, that implies that it, there's not an issue of Baltashchis here. There's only an issue of, uh, of policy, of Yishev Eretz Yisrael. So, and it's Noeg B'chal Nachum, he says, and it, 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 the, 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 the lav itself is broader in scope than the policy issue. In this sense, it applies even in Chutzlarts. Elavada, he concludes that when we're dealing with the Dvar Mitzvah, he says, certainly the prohibition does not apply. Nevertheless, even though there is a Mitzvah, still the concern of Yishev Eretz Yisrael does apply and overrides the Mitzvah. Because Yishev Eretz Yisrael, because the Atzim Arachi, he says, was an ongoing thing. Every day they needed wood for the Maracha. It was, so if we allowed cutting down fruit trees, that would eventually have a major effect on Yishev Eretz Yisrael. They'd cut down all the fruit trees. They would destroy Eretz Yisrael. Instead of going out to forest, they, they would just cut down the, the trees they found closest, and they would often be fruit trees. And, it, and, and as a policy issue, Chazal felt that would be bad for Eretz Yisrael. Shlomo HaMelech, he says, that was a one-off thing. He had to build his kruvim. He had to build his, uh, his, his certain doors. That was a one-time thing. It wasn't something that was ongoing, that was on a steady and ongoing basis, and therefore there's no concern for Yishev Eretz Yisrael, and therefore, the, all you're left with is the prohibition of Losashchis Aseitza, and that doesn't apply because of the mitzvah, because they were doing it for a constructive purpose. So the Redach Vemden concludes, as he, begun, as he began, he says that there is no prohibition of Losashchis Aseitza, of cutting down fruit trees, when you're doing it for a constructive purpose, even for a mundane hediot purpose, certainly when it's for the purpose of mitzvah, for the purpose of Beis HaMikdash, Certainly there's no prohibition. There is a, there is a separate concern for Yishev Eretz Yisrael, but, but that's not going to apply in cases where it's not something like the Atzei Maracha, which is an ongoing need, which will eventually result in the deforestation of Eretz Yisrael, the deforestation of Eretz Yisrael's fruit trees. So in general, he says, the prohibition of Losashka Saseta would not apply when you're doing something on sound economic and practical reasons, and certainly not if you're doing it for a mitzvah. Then he goes on. And he says, perhaps we can say, alternatively, yet another explanation of, of how Shlomo Amela could cut down olive trees, al Adibur. Maybe that was done by, uh, by divine command. We know in general everything in the Beis HaMikdash was ordered by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Miyad Hashem Alav Hiskel, that he says that uh, the Gemara brings this Pasuk, that HaKol B'Chsav, that, that when they built the Beis HaMikdash, everything had to be, had to be uh, according to divine commandments. So as Hashem told him he could do it. It wasn't just a question of economic value or mitzvah. It, w- it was a... Uh, it was a... Uh, they, they had divine sanction for it. He says, nevertheless, that would also extend to shuls as well. He says a great chiddush. He says, Beis Shalanu is a mikdash ma'at. Our shul has the, the status of a mikdash ma'at. Now in halacha, and in uh, Agada also, Obviously, a shul is not identical to the Beis HaMikdash. The Rambam has halachas that, are, that apply, the Gemara explains there are certain halachas that apply to Beis HaMikdash, regarding Tumah, regarding certain levels of kavod. you're not allowed to go in wearing your shoes into the Beis HaMikdash. And the halacha is, you're allowed to wear shoes in shul. In, 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 some posts can say the minig was not to in certain Islamic countries, but, but al-pi halacha, you're allowed to wear shoes in shul. Post can explain, the Gemara, the Gemara indicates this, that a shul, even though it's a mikdash ma'at, does not have all the halachas and all the, the full level of 
does not have the does not meet does not have does not does not require adherence to exactly the same high standards as a Beis Hamikdash. Nevertheless, Rabbi Yaakov Emden suggests that with regard to the dispensation to cut down fruit trees, not a raya, he says, but that if they allow the cutting down of fruit trees for the Mikdash, he says, in something of a leap of logic, it would be plausible that they allowed the cutting down of fruit trees as well for the for shuls. However, he says, the Iker point is this first point, that you don't need that, even for a headyer that's mutter, even for a non-shul, even for a private purpose it would be mutter, because the Gemara says so. The Gemara says that the... Anytime you're not doing it derech hashchasa, anytime that anytime what you're doing is out of economic necessity, that's fine, and that's fine even for a hediot, and again certainly for a shul, it would be mutter. He says certainly if you're doing it k'dei lahatziv gvul almana, k'dei lahatziv gvul almana to reestablish the the almana, the the, bound, the boundaries of the almana is a reference to a Talmudic discussion that you make a bracha of baruch matziv gvul almana. When you see Eretz Yisrael be Shuva, some Rishonim learn it's when you see shuls that are, that are rebuilt in Eretz Yisrael after Eretz Yisrael is in Almana, in Gullus, in uh, devastated and desolate. And when Eretz Yisrael, when you see rebuilt Eretz Yisrael and you see the rebuilt shuls, in particular, you say, you're Matzik Vul Almana. Rabbi Yaakov says that certainly for a shul, which is a great thing in, in the eyes of the halacha, for a shul to be built and to, be, uh, and to flourish and to be developed, is, is, is a worthy cause, and even for a hediot, it's clear from the Gemara, you can cut down fruit trees, and certainly you can cut down fruit trees for the purpose of building or expanding a shul. Even though it's not going to be a shul forever, it's only a, it's, the property is leased, and it will eventually revert to the non-Jew, and he's not going to maintain it as a shul. Doesn't matter. Spend some time on this point. I didn't, I didn't cite all his, all his discussion, but he, but he argues that uh, it doesn't matter. Right now it's a shul. The fact that in a few years down the line... It might not be a shul anymore, then, uh, then uh, that's certainly a good reason. And he brings the Taz, he says that, the, that this, is, this is the Taz's point, that you're allowed to cut down fruit trees to build a private residence. Now, so up till now, Rabbi Yaakov Emden has been unequivocally arguing for leniency. In this part of the tshuva, though, now he... He retrenches a little bit, and now we start telling you that he, he is being lenient in the case of the shul, but in the case of a private house, he wouldn't be quite so lenient. And he says, it depends. If the house is clearly more valuable than the tree, which it usually is, he says, that the value of the, pro- of, the, of the property when a house is built on it will be more valuable than the property with a tree on it. So in that case, he says, it's absolutely true that it is much. However, he says, if it's not going to be such a market improvement, the, the value is more similar, or it's shave b'shave, then he would not be so quick to be lenient for a hediot. The rush himself, the rush says, tzarech When it's necessary, when there's something that is a significant improvement about the property, but building a house on it, it's mutter. Just because you want to just switch the property from a tree to a house, even though it's not destructive, you just decide you'd rather have a house, not a tree. If the value, if the, the value of the property in both capacities is similar then he would not be so quick to be lenient. Only when you have to, he says, when, it, when, when he's just too crowded, that there's a real necessity, a real economic need, then, then that's where the Rosh and the Gemara are allowing it, but just because it's, uh, just because it's, uh, it, that, that's what you decide to do, even if it's not destructive, that's not mutter. You would need, at least, he says, it would have to be revach b'davra niska. So you need one of two things. The Rebekah Emden says you have to either have 
any necessity. I have no place to live. I, the, the shul is not big enough. Or you have to have a, an objective, clear increase in the value. So it has to be one or the other. It has to be either mu'ula bedamim, as the Gemara says, something that, that, that's, worth, that's worth significantly more, or it has to be something that you really need because you simply don't have room, you don't have room to live, you don't have room for the shul. One of those criteria is necessary in order to allow it. Okay, but he's still basically being lenient. And now he turns around and gives us his two great chumras, which I think it's fair to say have served as the basis for most of the, most of the concern, most of the hesitation for Poskim when they discuss cutting down fruit trees, begins with these two ideas of Rav Yaakov Emden. First of all, he says that there's a question of Midas Hasidus, even if it's mutter, it's not the right thing to do. It's not, halacha allows it, but grudgingly, it's not the ideal conduct. Second, he says, there's an issue of sakana. There's an issue of danger. What does this talk about danger? The talk about danger comes from the Gemara. The Gemara, as I mentioned, the one Gemara that talks about cutting down fruit trees directly is this Gemara in Babakama. So, in addition to the various points of the Gemara about Ditmutr when it's a mula badamim and so on, in addition to the various Eterim, the Gemara has a, uh, a troubling story that Rabbi Hanina said, Rabbi Hanina said that one line, he said, my son, Shivchas Bri, Shivchas Bri, I have a son who, who died, and the reason he died, the only reason he died is because he cut down a fig tree below Zimne because it was, it was too early for the tree to be cut down, and he, and he cut it down, and it was still bearing fruit. It was still in its prime. So, then, on, on that, then Ravina says, if it's mula b'damim, it's mutter. So it's very unclear. So what did this uh, shivchas bri, what did this person do? Uh, what did he do? Did he cut down a fruit tree when it was not mula b'damim? Did he simply violate the biblical prohibition and cut down a fruit tree? Is he talking about where it was mula b'damim? He had economic justification, and still he died? What exactly is Rav Knina coming to tell us? What is, the, what is the lesson? What are we supposed to derive from this sad tale of the death of Rav Knina's son? Rav Yaakov Emden argues that, he says, he takes for granted that this son was a Talmud Chacham, was a God-fearing person. He certainly would never have cut down a fruit tree if it was actually us. Also, he notes, Rav Yaakov Emden, that the Taz, I mentioned earlier that the Shulchan Aruch doesn't really discuss, the, doesn't really discuss much about cutting down fruit trees. The Taz writes, the Taz's comments occur in Yerdea Simon Kuftazayin, Simon 116, which is where a miscellaneous group of halachas involving sakana, Mayim Megulam, and so on, various things that, that the Chazal say, or that later Postkim said, you shouldn't do because they're dangerous. Medical advice, other types of advice, things you shouldn't do because they involve danger. So the Taz says, I have another thing, I have another thing that the Shulchan Aruch didn't mention, the other thing that you shouldn't do because of sakana the Taz says, is to cut down fruit trees. Chazal said, don't cut down, Chazal, he said, Osru Chazal, Chazal prohibited the cutting down of fruit trees, and he brings this Gemara. So, Rebbe is again, very troubled. Chazal prohibited cutting down fruit trees? It's a Pasuk, Lo Sashka says Eitza, the Rambam counts it, it's one of the Tarek Mitzvahs, you're not allowed to cut down fruit trees. It somehow wasn't mentioned in some of the early Halachic codes, but Rambam mentions it, and it's a Gemara, it's a Pasuk, so, so what do you mean Chazal Aster? They asked it because of Sakana, they asked it because it's the will of God that you shouldn't cut down fruit trees. The Gemara mentions it's a Sakana, fine, it's a Sakana also, but what do you mean, Ostru Chachamim? Chazal prohibited because of Sakana? What is that all about? So Rabbi Yaakov Emden says, to answer these various questions, he says, and he has this tremendous, tremendous Chiddush, a tremendous, tremendous Chumrah, 
he says, even in cases where it's mutter to cut down the tree, even in cases where al piyalacha you're allowed to do it, where the, where the economic value and so on legitimates cutting down the tree. Says Rabbi Yaakov Emden, nevertheless, it's not Midas Hasidus, and maybe it's a Sakana. So he says, and that's what happened in Rav Hasan. He says, he had, the, he had a hat, it was Ma'ula Badamim, it was worth more as lumber, or Tzarech Makomo, like the rush, he needed the space, it was Mutter. He says, nevertheless, it's not a Mishnah Hasidim, it's not, and he should have been more Machmer, and the, the, he was a Tzadik, and he's held to a high standard, he should have been stricter about it. And certainly, at least he, at least he who was a great tzaddik, a great chassid, was punished, midah k'negad midah. He cut down a tree in its prime, when it was a young tree, so God cut him down for not being more stringent, for not being more meticulous about this halacha, even though it's mutter. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Svivav Nisar HaMaut, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is medaktik im chassid of k'chod hasayra. If that's not enough of a chumrah, then he goes even further, and says, Inami, and this is the, this is the key line, this is what the whole New York Times article is about. Inami lukulialma nami ikasakanta. For anyone to cut down a fruit tree, even when the Gemara says it's mutter, even when it's mula badamim, even when it's sarkal makomo, even when you need the space, even when it's, a, when it's an economic necessity, even when there's a uh, real need to do it. Nevertheless, it's mutter, according to halacha, according to Shulchan Aruch, it's mutter. However, it is ikasakanta. You're risking your life if you do it. Even though it's shari midina, even though it's mutter al pialacha, it's not, it's not derech hashchasa, even though Ravina said mula badam and mutter, Ravina said mutter, mutter meant, you're not over the losase, you're not over the lav, losashchas es etza, afilu hachi ispe mishum sakanta. Nevertheless, it is a dangerous thing to do, for mystic reasons, a god may still strike someone down for doing that, even though it is mutter. Why? If it's mutter, why should there be such a terrible consequence, terrible punishment, I cannot answer that question, but that is what Rav Yaakov Emden said. Now, many poskim push back on this very strongly. Many poskim say that's an untenable way to read the Gemara. How can the Gemara say, mutter, if, if you're taking your life into your own hands and God may strike you dead for it, and that's what Ravina was saying, that, that's what Rav Hanina said when he said, my son died because he did it. How on earth can Ravina just say, mutter? What do you mean, mutter? Mutter? You, mutter and, and you risk your life by doing it? That's not mutter. When the rush said that uh, nira that it's mutter if you need the space, and the rush didn't warn you that you that you're going to die for it, that, that, how can you say that? All the early postkim, all, all, all the, the taz, the taz said he was mater. All the early postkim who said it was mutter, none of them thought to mention that it's a sakana and that and that it's, and that if you and that if, if you and that if you're if you value your life you won't do it. So many postkim, Ravadia brings Ravadia safe brings numerous postkim, the chida and many others, who have pushed back strongly against this taz and have argued and have strongly against Rabbi Yaakov Amdin, and have argued that, no, there is nothing wrong. If the Gemara says it's mutter, we can't be smarter than the Gemara. The Gemara says mutter, the Taz says mutter, the Rush says mutter, that if you actually have a solid economic reason, and if you, certainly if you actually have necessity, then, the, then it will actually be mutter. The Times quotes Rav, Rav Gabriel Zinner, the Nitzhi Gabriel, and uh, a, a nice, uh, he puts it very nicely, Again, I don't really have so much confidence in the Times' ability to uh, report uh, subtle points of Jewish law accurately, but it's a nice story, and it's plausible enough, and it makes sense, that they say Rav Zinner told them he got a call from, a, from people in some Orthodox community north of the city asking they had a fruit tree that was attracting bears, somewhere, I guess, in the Catskills or in the, in the areas where there are camps or bungalow colonies or kids play outside, 
and there was a fruit tree that was attracting bears. So they asked him what to do. He said, you can chop it down. And we have to respect the tree, Rabbi Zinner said. We have to, respect, we, we have, to have respect for human beings also. So certainly when you reach this point that, that you believe the tree is actually endangering human life, then certainly it's not such a hard call. Yes, the Gemara says chopping down fruit trees may endanger human life. I'll pee skula, I'll pee uh, sowed. But when the tree attracts bears, it's also endangering human life. So assuming Rav Zinner actually said this, he was saying that at the end of the day, if, if according to, uh, if according to uh, the way God runs the world with the laws of nature, the tree is endangering human life, it has to be cut down despite what the Gemara says. But nevertheless, the, Rabbi Yaakov Emden's point is that barring such a case where the tree is actually endangering human life, Rabbi Yaakov Emden believes that there is an ele- certainly Midas Hasidus and maybe even an element of Sakana for chopping down a tree, even if you meet the halacha criteria for cutting it down. Other posts can disagree. Other posts can say there's no such thing, that that's not the way we learn Shas and Postkim. If the Shas and Postkim just tell you mutter and we allow it, and it's, the Rush says mutter and the Taz says hitarti, if they say it's mutter, then we, we can't go along and say, that, but it's dangerous and you shouldn't do it. Lamaisa, as I said, this I think is a big part of the reason why some of the poskim are so leery of cutting down fruit trees, even though if we would analyze the sugya as a normal halachic sugya, there's ample grounds to be lenient in a case of, of significant economic value, and certainly in a case where, where, it's, uh, where it's difficult and it's crowded and the tree is causing a real hassle. Nevertheless, because of Yaakov Emden says, because of his interpretation of the Gemara, that even when it's mutter, there's an element of sakana, that's why many poskim, especially I think those who, are, who take these things more seriously, who are more concerned with Inyane Skula and Inyane Sod, are going to be stricter and are going to be very reluctant to allow cutting down trees, even if according to the straightforward halachic argument, it should be mutter. So let's see a little, bo- a little bit more of Emden's tshuva. So he says, for a hediot, I would not be lenient, even if, it's, uh, even if there is significant economic value, because chamira sakanta, because we know that when it comes to sakana, we have to be super stringent, and I would not want to be lenient. Or because midas chasidus, he says, certainly in Adam Chashuv, like Rav son, shouldn't do it himself. And he says that even though technically it's mutter, so in our case also, even though there was a shul, he says technically it's mutter, but Rav Chetamilse, he says, if you, want to, uh, if you want to do it in a way that there's no isser at all, have a non-Jew cut it down. He makes various technical arguments uh, for why, if, if a non-Jew cuts it down, it's better. On the most basic level, it's because a non-Jew is not commanded in the mitzvah of uh, cutting down fruit trees. He gets into questions of agency. If, if a non-Jew hires a Jew to cut it down, is it mutter? If it's, a, if it's a non-Jew's property also, it's an additional reason to be lenient. So he has various, uh, various uh, complex and subtle arguments for why, when non-Jews are involved, both as the owner of the property the, and, and the ones who control the use of the property, and they're the ones ordering it to be cut down. Certainly, if, the, if, if a non-Jew actually cuts it down, it's Muttari said. So that's what he recommends, and that's what Postkim sometimes recommend today also. In a case where you need to cut down a tree, certainly it's better to have a tree service do it, a tree service that's not Jewish, rather than have a Jew actually cut it down, even when there's basis to be lenient, because again, a non-Jew doesn't have the same prohibition, and there's going to be more of a basis for leniency. But again, he concludes that, certainly he says, when, when, when it's a shul, you don't really need that. He says that, uh, that if, in, in the case of the shul, he says that we have kochadetera, we have ample grounds for leniency, even if it would be a Jewish tree, and a Jew would be cutting it down, but in any event, he says, just use a non-Jew, and then certainly there's basis to be lenient. 
And he says it. So again, so in our case, he reiterates, we're dealing with a shul. So in our case, he says, a afil b'shel Yisrael could do it, v'ayidei Yisrael, even if it was a Jewish shul, Jewish property, Jewish tree, Jewish uh, person cutting it down, it would be mutter, and there's ein ba'n kan beis mechosh klal, and not even sakana, he seems to be saying. Certainly here, where we're going to do it by a non-Jew, and the non-Jew owns the property, he says, then certainly there's basis to be lenient. And now, one of the last points he makes in the tshuva is the one that uh, someone made earlier, that he says, all this, is, all this, all the concern about cutting down trees is when the tree dies, is when the tree is being destroyed. He says, however, if when the tree is removed from the ground, it is still alive, and you're able to replant it, then ain't can Then there is no prohibition. He says Both in terms of simple logic, he says it, it stands to reason that's not cutting it down. Moving a tree is not the same thing as cutting it down. Cutting it down. And uh, he brings a raya from Arla with such a rule that, that if you, that a tree a tree has a, a timer three years of Arla. After that, all the all the first three years you can't eat the fruit. First three years the, the fruit is aser. After that you can eat the fruit. If you replant the tree, if, if the tree is cut down and replanted, then the, the clock may restart. But the halacha is, it depends. If when you pull the tree out with some earth, it can still live, it can still live with the earth that's, uh, that, that, that came out with it, then it's potter from Arla, the clock does not recount, because you didn't really cut it down, you just moved it. So according to that distinction, it would follow that if you cut down the tree, it would depend on whether you took it out with enough earth that it can survive in that earth or not. If you took it out with no earth and replanted it, it might be more of a problem, but certainly, he says, if you pull out the tree with earth enough that it can survive in the earth that you pulled out with it, then, the, then he says, you're not, that's called you're not cutting it down at all. That's another major leniency, that if you want to move a tree, so first of all, we have, the Gemara says, it's mutter mikra din, if there's significant economic advantage to doing so, and certainly if it's a case of necessity. Second, we have tzarech mitzvah, we have additional leniencies, tzarech gavoa for a shul, Third, we have leniencies involving having non-Jews do it. Fourth, he says, if the tree is not simply hacked up and turned into timber, but if the tree is actually carefully removed in a way that it remains alive and able to be replanted, then that is an additional heter, and that, and that certainly would be another reason, he says, to justify moving the tree. So at the end of the day, he does allow moving the tree in his particular case, but, however, he says, he has a major chumrah, which is that normally, even in cases... When you're not dealing with a shul, then even, even, if, you, even if you're dealing with a situation where al pishuras din, according to the rules of the Gemara and the Poskim, it would be mutter. Nevertheless, it's not midas chasidus, and it may even be an ele- and there may even be an element, an aspect of sakana, which is something that a prudent person will want to avoid. We'll just wind up. We'll just read the last paragraph of the tshuva. That's where he goes back to addressing the concerns of the letter writer. What happened to his first letter? What happened to the second letter? So he explains, he says, the first letter arrived when I was very busy, and I was busy moving, he says, I planned to move, and except, he says, they held me back, he says, I wanted to leave, but people begged me to stay, so I stayed, he says, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, but, but what happened was, he says, your letter got lost, that's why I didn't put your letter in a safe place, I guess everything, there was a considerable amount of turmoil with all the packing, so your letter got lost, he says, and uh, I don't have your letter, so that's one reason why I'm not responding to it. Furthermore, he says, from what I, this, this sounds a little, bit, uh, a little bit cold, he says, but from what I remember, there wasn't really much in your letter that, uh, that needed a response, he says. 
The question apparently dealt with a very serious question, actually, of a, of a Taras Meshbacha question, a woman who was unable to be Tahara Labayla, he says, doesn't give the details, but he says, I don't really have a hat to says. So you know, just to write a tshuva telling you that just follow what it says in Shulchan Aruch and either find, either find a hetar according to the standard rules over there or you're out of luck, he says, that's not a tshuva that I, that I need to write, apparently. This is a point that, uh, that I've long wondered about. Earlier tshuvas, when they deal with very earlier svarim, Rishonim, earlier achronim, when they deal with very serious questions like questions of aguna and so on, so they often have a terim. As my father always, uh, always pointed out, that, that Rav Shlomo Yosef Zevin pointed out, Rav Yitzchol Khan Inspector has hundreds of tshuvas on Agunas, and in 99% of them or so, he's matter. There's only about 1% he couldn't find a heter. But there was 1% that he couldn't, and he says, Asr, or ask somebody else, or I don't have a heter. So earlier Duras used to write tshuvas even when they had no heter. Today, my sense is it's less common. If you read, I, I remember that, uh, I think it was Rabbi Riskin once wrote, that Ramosha has uh, a number of tshuvas dealing with Mamzerus, and in not a single one does he pass in Asr. I think it's true, so I, I, did, I did a little bit of checking up the claim. I think it's probably true. However, I think it somewhat misses the point. The point is that the, that the, the custom of Poskim today, when they deal with Aguna or Mamzerus or very serious issues, they write a tshuva if they have a hetter. If they don't have a hetter, they don't write a tshuva. They just say, maybe someone else will have a hetter. Why should I write a tshuva to Asr? I don't know. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one qualified to rule. I'm not going to say anything if I don't have a head. You know, it's like the old, uh, the old thing one's mother tells one. If you have nothing nice to say, uh, don't say it. So the, I think posts can today work with an attitude like that sometimes. If they don't have a hetter, again, if it's a simple issue, uh, you know, a question of muchts on Shabbos, they'll say usr. But if it's a question of condemning somebody to a life of, uh, to a life of uh, solitude, of aguna or mamzerus, they'll sometimes just say that if they don't have a hetter, they just won't write a tshuva. But Rabbi Yaakov Emden says that's, that was his attitude as well, apparently, that uh, I didn't really have anything to say, he says, that uh, I already told you, he said, the first time, not only that, but I told you the first time, I don't really have a hetter for he says. So just to discuss the sugya further is pointless, he says, that I didn't really have much of a hetter beyond the standard halachas that are present in the sugya, he says. And it was a relatively straightforward thing, he says, just, just follow the halachas as, as, uh, as written in Shulchan Aruch. Furthermore, he says, why do I have to get involved? She's not, one, she's not my flock, he says. She's not one of the ones who I am her rabbinic authority. Let someone else take care of this, he says. Let her go ask the, the Kila of Amsterdam, he says, that uh, they're your rabbinic authorities, whatever they pass in. It's not, it, it's not my business, he says. Again, it seems a little harsh. If he, if he had a hatter for her, he could help her. You'd think he should do so. But again, he didn't have a hatter, he was saying. He didn't really have a hatter. So just, just to deal with it, because he was the official rabbi, he's not her official rabbi, he says. So... I already told you I don't have that much to say. I already told you I don't really have a uh, major hetter, and, and she's not a member of my community that I have to do this. Therefore, he says, your letter didn't really require a major response, and I lost it while I was packing, and so on, and therefore uh, I don't have that much to say. But regarding the second letter, the interesting question of the tree, that he has his tshuva, which on the one hand, he was makil, he was makil in his case. He allowed them to do it certainly by a non-Jew, maybe even by a Jew for a shul, on the other hand, he also tells us uh, in the course of his discussion this tremendous stringency that even in cases where the halacha would allow cutting down the tree, you still shouldn't do it. A, it's not a midas chasidus, and B, there may be an element of sakana, bederach skula, bederach sod, there may be an element of sakana even where it's mutter, and that is why I think many poskim until our generation are reluctant to freely allow cutting down trees even when the, even when the, halach, the, when the halachic... Uh, 
circumstances would actually allow it.